0: Welcome to the Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj.
1: All right. Welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day today. Today, we have an awesome guest. This guy has Uh, a creator of Business From Scratch, and today he's actually given birth to more than 15 companies. He presents keynote addresses, he coaches others, both businesses and individuals to achieve higher goals, and he is a podcast host of two podcasts. One is Father and Joe, and the other one is Local Football Flavor. So let's welcome Joe Rocky. How are you doing today, Joe?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's great to have you on, Joe. So let's get started, by asking you to please share your story. How did you first get started in becoming an entrepreneur?
0: I became an entrepreneur because I became a salesman. It's a long story short. Um, I've been doing sales in one capacity or another since I was 18. And what I wanted was to be able to control my product. And my first job coming out of college was a financial advisor in the heat of the last recession. And what I saw over my three years there was the quality of product I was selling just diminished as the company just willy nilly decided to change their mind. Um, Long story short, I didn't want to be a part of that. I wanted to be able to sell the best and be able to control my product. And that was where I created the first business. What was that in 2011? And ever since then, it's just been wanting to create systems and structures where I'm giving people the absolute best that we can and making everyone better for it. And then that just kept growing and growing and growing. And, Now we do business coaching to help people achieve the dreams that they want with their business, whether it be make more money, make more time, whatever the case may be, that's how we have really grown this, trying to share our expertise that we've learned from creating our various companies and helping others achieve what they want as well.
1: Awesome, thanks for sharing that. So basically you became, you know, you started being being a sales in 18 um, and basically Mm -hmm. you wanted to control your product and you got started off as a financial advisor, and one of the problems was later on they were selling products that you consider lower quality, and you wanted to sell the best quality product, and you realized you had limited control over it because they owned the product, and um, and then that exactly led, that led you to starting uh, your own business in two thousand eleven, and and uh, you've never looked back ever since. So let's talk a little bit about being a salesman because you know people have all kinds of images of being a salesman. Like you know, I've been an entrepreneur mm-hmm. for many years, so I know the best salesmen help people out. They circle, they give them lots of value. A lot of people, but also a lot of people are afraid to be salesmen. They're afraid they don't want to look too sales. They're afraid of what people are going to think of them. So when someone gets started, you know, how did they overcome that fear? Someone, you know, someone may want to work. You say, I, you know, I want to sell something, but I'm afraid. You know, I don't want, I don't want to feel pushy or. Pressurey on my friends. So
0: how did you overcome that here? Well, that that's all fair and, and real. I mean, the, that that's stuff we all go through. And let's start by just defining what sales are, real quick. You know, sales really has three key components. The first component: imagine you own a bakery for this scenario. First key component is they need to know your bakery exists, and they have to have a desire to show up there. The second component being when they are at your bakery, they feel comfortable and the point where they're going to exchange money for you giving your service and then step three you deliver some really good bread so with that being said there's a lot of elements in that sales structure that fit a lot of different personality types and a lot of different elements so where people say i have fear that i'm going to do something wrong it's normally when they're, they're placing themselves in one of those categories that their personality doesn't naturally want to land into and there's nothing wrong with it. There is no one personality that will master all three categories. It does not exist. So what you need to come up with is a brutal evaluation of yourself. What would I be better at? What would I prefer doing? Do I want to be able to make essentially a marketing plan where I'm going to get people knowing about my business and wanting to come? Do I want to be that guy who's transferring you know solutions for currency? Or do I want to be delivering the product on the back end? And there's nothing wrong with any of those three answers. It's just where do you see fit? So the starting point before we dive into anything is know yourself, know what you're going to be better at and what you prefer to do, and then essentially find someone who's going to be different enough from you that they're going to want one of the other parts. Because what happens to so many different business owners is we get into the zone we want to be in. Normally, it's the product and delivering on the back end. And because we don't like the other two components, we neglect them and we neglect them. And the simple fact is the bakery that lasts the longest isn't the one with the best bread. It's the one that makes the most sales. So at the end of the day, you can have the greatest product in the world, but if no one knows you exist and wants to come see you, it doesn't matter. Or if when they get to you, they are repulsed by being there, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you can successfully get enough people to know that you exist, want to see you, when they get to your presence, whether it be virtually or in person, they want to be there, and then you are able to exchange the actual value for currency. That's how you make success, and when you look at it from that component, there is this place for every single personality type and person somewhere along that journey.
1: No, I thought that was a very good explanation, and I like the uh, example of the bakery. So the three components, um, and you could apply to pretty much any business, you it has, people have to know it exists and they want to go there and check it out. Uh, when they mm-hmm. get there, they want to feel comfortable. They like the product. They feel uh, comfortable exchanging money for the bread. And then um, you got to deliver good bread or deliver good product. And, and, mm-hmm. and you got to figure out where you fit in there and know yourself, which I think is very important. And then for the parts you're not good at, that you, you, you don't feel comfortable, you don't like, find other people. And like you said, a big mistake a lot of companies make, a lot of people make is they ignore the other two to their detriment. And you you said uh, uh, something very important. The bakery that lasts is the one that makes the most sales, not necessarily the one that makes uh, the best bread. And you made me think of mm-hmm. McDonald's because let's face it, McDonald's does not necessarily have the best burgers, but they have the best system in place. Everyone knows that they exist. They know what to expect when they go there. And so you can find one in pretty much any neighborhood, so and people need a quick, you know, a quick burger and fries, and McDonald's. Or they will go to because they you know what to expect. It's pretty consistent no matter what. Again, there are plenty of other places that make better burgers than McDonald's, but they're not anywhere near as well known as them because McDonald's has this great system in place, and people know where to find it, what to expect. So that's what you made me think of. Exactly. And, and 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 the most successful people I know, they focus on their strengths, but they don't forget about their weaknesses. They'll delegate it to other people. So they'll see whatever they're not good at. They'll 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 outsource it to someone else. So that yeah, you know, don't neglect what is not what what you're not good at, which a lot of people do to their dentist So I thought that was a really uh, great example that you shared with us. So um, so I guess that, that all fits in. It's, it all fits into as well as you want to build a sales team. That's that's an important part of as well. You know, you got to find people the things that you don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, have them do it. Are there are, they, are there any other principles involved in building a good successful sales team?
0: Well, yeah, you got to be able to have people who will do all the parks. I mean, let's let's say, so when I built my first business, I personally do not like doing the part that fills my calendar, the part where people need to know who they are and get them to come to me. So I found partners that love doing that. In the case of the first business, it was people doing data mining off the internet and getting them to click on a website to schedule the appointment. And at the end of the day, they were really good at it. They're incredibly good at it. It filled up my calendar and we were able to make some really good connections as a result of it. So that's what I recommend is you want to be able to let people be involved and be empowered. There's so many business owners, especially early on in the infancy of their businesses, get afraid that if they allow their employees to do something that was outside of their initial mindset of what the position would be, that they want to shut it down. But the problem with that is that you're creating a situation where you're not trusting your employees and you're ultimately hindering the business culture you'll create and probably hurting its scalability in the long run. So what we need to do is create a system in place that also gives enough freedom for your other employees to stretch out and empower their own minds and their ideas. Because at the end of the day, that's how your business will grow and find its own innovations. Obviously, you want to have it all within the framework and the culture of what you're trying to create. You don't want to be a bakery and then start making cars, but you do want to be able to have the ability to say, you know what, this guy's exploring with, I don't know, throwing jalapenos in the bread, and it turned out really, really good. And this guy over here is using white chocolate chips. I don't know why it works, but it does. And you just let them explore. And I'm not saying you do this 24-7 as R&D, but every once in a while, you let someone explore and see what's what. And then you do it in all the capacities. Next thing you know, you have much more efficient products. You have done something to differentiate yourselves. And you're probably spending less money along the way because now people want to be working for you because not many other businesses that you're competing for the employees allow that type of freedom. So win-win across the board.
1: No, I agree. That is a win-win. I think that's a very important point you just made, you know, you know, have, you know, make the best business, have everyone do all the different parts. And, and like, you didn't like filling out the calendar yet. So when I'll do that, if you schedule the stuff for you and, and and a lot of companies, they don't, they don't allow people to do certain things, and it hinders scalability mm-hmm. and growth. And it leads to resentment, I think, to a lot of employees. They feel like they're stuck, in, they're in a rut, they don't want, they're not going anywhere. And that leads to, a lot of times, it makes them want to leave the firm. Whereas if you them uh, an opportunity to stretch and to grow, like, number one, they're going to be happy. They're much more likely to stay there. And number two, uh, you're you you're going to scale more. Um, they're going to have the freedom to do want, They're going to be happier. And you're probably going to get more production, better results as a result. And why do you? Yeah, think, absolutely, will yeah. Now, why do you think some of the reasons why sometimes the managers and owners stop that? I, I, I think one of the major is some of them are control freaks. They're insecure, but I'm sure there are other factors as well.
0: What do you think? Well, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. That's true. I mean there is a personality type that just wants to be in control and control everything. And that's an element of life, and unfortunately, it's true. You know, I came up through the system; everyone told me what to do and gave me no ability. I'm not going to let them do that. You know, we are still living in the remnants of that culture that was mainstream America. I mean, that's how businesses were run. You own, you were micromanaged to infinity, and then you micromanage the next generation. It's a horrible way of doing it, um, but it, since it's the way that it was, people just kept repeating it. So that's the other main problem mindset is people just do what everyone else did, which in the economy, you're trying to differentiate yourself by just copying everyone down the line, it doesn't work. So to do the exact same analogy, but now on an employee standpoint, imagine that you owned a hotel or was in charge of making sure that the rooms were clean. You can give, you really only care about two things. You care about how long does it take to get to the room and how quality is the cleanliness of the room when it's done. So you are presented with two choices. You can do the standard thing everyone does, hourly rate, go clean it. If you don't do good enough, we're gonna yell at you. Okay, now that's what everyone does. Or option two, you can say, we're gonna do a commission system that's a little bit different. I don't care how long it takes you to do the rooms. We're gonna pay you this amount for an A plus clean, this amount for a B, C, D, etc. And then at the end of your shift, we're just gonna walk through and say you've done this many A's, B, Cs, here's the math, here's your check. So what are you ultimately going to get? You're going to get employees that figure out the most efficient way to get you max clean rooms in the least amount of time to them. Because to your employees, their time matters just as much as yours does. And now you have aligned the goals. And in terms of the quality, what you're ultimately going to get is realizing where where it is, where's is the price point of what you're paying them to the amount of time they got to put in. That's efficient. So that's how you'll have to negotiate your own pay. And the more important part is those that aren't willing to step up and bring that kind of a game will phase themselves out because if you're taking forever and you're giving low quality, you won't be getting paid enough. and You'll disappear. It also removes those drains on people's cultures that just seems to suck you back into this abyss where it's not really anything productive coming out of and it removes it. So virtually every position can have some type of product like this in terms of the commission way of paying them. And many businesses are flat out unwilling to even explore the idea and all of the outright potential greatness that can come from it just gets ignored. And it's very sad.
1: No, That's a pretty interesting example you shared. You know, Basically, the employees that figure out how to clean the room, how to take care of everything will get more done because, the, number one, it'll take them less time. They'll get paid more. And those that are not as efficient, well, they're going to a drain anyway, so they'll probably be let go at the end. And though, though, you mentioned that's a drain on culture, and that's something I want you to talk about it in a minute but uh, is it this something, it it seems like it's a a great way for a lot of business to go in the next five, 10, but like you said, a lot of people, a lot of businesses are not even considering that right now because they basically just do what everyone else does because uh, they don't want to look like uh, weird or strange. But the thing is the, The people that succeed, the people are the companies that succeed are the ones that are not afraid to look different. They want to do these innovative things and take these chances. So, Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that in in the next five or ten years you'll see maybe not a whole lot of businesses doing this way of running business? You know, basically paying people on performance. Do you think there might be some growth, like say maybe ten percent more, twenty percent more? And number two, you, know, you mentioned uh, changing the culture. I think one way is getting rid of like the people that drag everything down. What are some other ways also that you can build a more positive and winning culture at at, at at the company?
0: Well, to me, the number one way to build a better culture is to give people the power and the freedom. But you can see how that's contrary to what most people do. Most people are coming up wanting to be control freaks, and it's go- it's contrary. So therefore, the likelihood of it happening is limiting. And the majority of successful people, whether we're talking about people who eventually become entrepreneurs or just want to be successful within their own corporate framework, want to have freedom and the ability to make successful decisions. And if you tell someone to say, hey, you're not allowed to make choices until you get three levels higher on the promotional ladder, you are inherently discouraging creating growth and innovation from that person. They're not going to open their mouth because you now have created a, you have to climb the matter scenario. And that creates essentially a dual class within your company. Those who are below this line on the corporate ladder don't matter. And those that are above it do. But if you create a situation where every person's voice matters and we're going to listen to everyone and they're going to have a chance to prove it themselves about whether it works or not, we're not dealing in theory in a scenario. We're actually applying these tests. So you know if it works. It's not just oh, I think my idea is better because it came out of my mouth. No, it's, it actually worked or it didn't. That that's a very important piece of this. That's how you create culture. You create culture because I have the opportunity to think about something that my boss actually going to let us try. And if it works, it's going to be great not just for me because people will give me credit for it and recognition for it, but it's going to make all of us better and it's going to make the company stronger. And then, you know, hopefully you have created a structure in place where those things get rewarded in a way that means most to that employee who's bringing it out, whether it be recognition, a little bit of economic bonus, you know, you got to know your people about what motivates them. But as long as you're able to nail that on the head, you'll be able to create so much more innovation and options. It'll be through the roof. And that's how you really test markets, push your company in different directions. And at the end of the day, make yourself unique which is what's required to be successful in capitalism in the first place
1: uh very good stuff Dan I totally agree give give people the power and the freedom and uh to do what they're supposed to do unfortunately a lot of companies discourage that they discourage growth and innovation and uh um, mm-hmm. yeah like I said you gave the example like oh you're only able to try new stuff if you're you advance three levels, then we will listen to what you have to say and again that discourages people and ma- it won't make them feel like they're appreciated again. more likely they're going to leave and but when everyone has a voice that definitely makes a big difference and i was just thinking about like michael bloomberg he worked in merrill lynch decades ago and he was very successful but again he was very limitless to what he could do so he said you know forget this He went started bloomberg and that was because merrill mm-hmm. lynch was would not listen to him and he said you know like you said he just started his own company and you know it, it, you know allow people to be unique and Another thing I think that happens, and I can tell you I was in the corporate world for a lot of years, is like um, uh, people are afraid sometimes to make a mistake because a lot of times companies will, they won't necessarily compliment you when you do good stuff. They'll just, you know, they accept it. But when you make a mistake, some of your superiors will just jump all over you. So people are afraid Mm -hmm. to try new and different things because if something goes wrong. They don't feel appreciated when it comes. So I think that that's something that hurts innovation as well. The fear, Because as an entrepreneur, you know you're going to make some mistakes, you get some feedback, and then you try to make adjustments along the way. I don't think you have that as much in,
0: in, in many businesses. Would you agree with that? You're absolutely right. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes back to that fear of the way that the upbringing was of the company and the way that it is. So you, you look at that, you just nailed it with Bloomberg, the downside of living in this fear the people who would be successful and help us build this thing forward are leaving because we're not giving them the opportunity. And yeah, when you're going through this, going back to the example of people cleaning the rooms, you're going to have some that just don't do it well. You know, they're going to just focus on this element or that element, and it's going to take them too long the first couple of times, but that's also part of it. Like, Oh, there is a reason to do it in this order or this operation. Or maybe we shouldn't do one room in its totality. Maybe we should do all four bathrooms and then we'll do all four beds and then we'll do all four sweeping them. Well, maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. The point is you have to allow your people to explore. And the reason I specifically use this example of people cleaning hotel rooms is because at most corporations, that is the lowest ring that people have and they don't even think about giving the corporation any ideas or thought process to them. And the simple fact is from the very, very bottom of what you believe is important to your company all the way to the top, there is room for innovation and growth if you allow it to exist. And this is truly how you build a better culture. It does start with trust. That has to be inherently in there. You have to not have fear of failure and just accept yourself building it into your company that we're going to have some mistakes along the way. And it's gonna have a economic cost of this, but it's going to have a benefit of this. And when we look at the overall benefit versus the cost, any person from an accounting standpoint would say you'd be an idiot not to do this, but when it comes to practically implementing it and letting the manager lose some of his control, it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen out of individual personal fear when you really break this down to its essence.
1: No, I totally agree, to you. And, and and I agree. You should you know, the all business, all committees should allow more room for innovation and growth. If they allow it, things will be better. And 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 the need for trust is very important because I definitely know there's very often. Yeah, and I know from my experience at Totas, there's not always that trust between employees and management. And when you have that lack of trust, that causes a lot of problems. It hurts innovation hurts productivity and it hurts profits in the long run. So um, that's mm-hmm. something definitely you need to work on trust. I totally agree with you. So you shared the example about the employees cleaning the room. So I think and, you know, paying down force. I think that's one way of getting better employees. Are there any other recommendations you would have for companies as to how they can get better employees? Because sometimes companies are afraid of hiring the wrong type of people. How can they make mm-hmm. sure that they hire better employees that
0: fit into the culture and be more productive? Well, on that note, before I answer your question, you're not only just hiring your employees, you don't have to pay them as much because you're giving them freedom and autonomy that no one else is. Because you've differentiated yourself in the labor market, you're getting better results with less money going out the door. And this is the kind of thing that I teach all of my companies that I'm coaching and consulting with. I mean, this is what we do at um, Elite Business Conversations. This is how we help people. So to answer your other question about, Fears of hiring the wrong people. Yeah, no, that's real. Uh, You need to have a process in effect that starts like this. The majority of times a hiring situation goes sideways or bad is not the employee's fault. It doesn't matter what the actual, actual after action report is. The reality normally is someone tried to articulate this job position of what we thought they were going to do. And it didn't end up being the reality. So there are, and the question is, which person got it wrong? It is, did the employee think it was going to be something different than it was, which happens obviously, or did the company misarticulate what they thought it was going to be? And you see that that's how disconnects happen. Most people don't want to go into a job environment that they know they're blatantly lying with or not capable of. They go into something to what they think they will be good for them. And they want to find a good fit. And likewise, the business wants to bring someone who will be a good fit for them. So you really get messed up if you do one of two things. If you hire someone for the wrong reason, the wrong reason being anything that does not equal this is the best person for the amount of resources I want to spend on this position. If you are hiring anyone for any other reason whatsoever, you are making a mistake for your business culture and bottom line. And this happens to a lot with companies with quota systems, which are the worst things you can have. Secondarily, from the employee's side, they want to know what they're going to do and they want to honestly do what their their position is. But if we don't fully know what it's going to be, you're putting them in a the situation for ultimate failure, and you're creating a lose-lose scenario along the way. Now, will that person being able to jump to what the position actually becomes? Maybe, maybe not. But now you've created a risk that did not need to exist.
1: All right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I don't hire people for the wrong reason, that won't help the company the, the best. And, and the employees make sure they know what to expect. And they like I said, employees want to know, you know go to jobs where they know what to, expect, what to do. And if, if they're doing something that's solely out of left field for it, and they're not going to enjoy it, they're not going to want to do it. But if they're not made aware of it at the beginning. It's going to lead to disaster. And I agree, quota systems very often lead to bad employees. When you're trying to fulfill the mm-hmm. quarters, you often hire the wrong people. Uh, good stuff there. Next thing I want to ask you is like, now you have your own business. And I'm sure you yeah you, know, you discuss with clients. They, how do you, how, how does someone honestly evaluate their own business and i think one issue seems to be a lot of people don't seem to know their numbers and when you don't know your numbers you have no idea what's wrong so
0: you talk about that and just what some of the other things they need
1: to do to evaluate their business
0: yeah i mean i i have an accounting degree so by trade you need to know where your money is i mean that's that's a fundamental starting point of regardless of what you're selling um sorry yeah that that one kind of goes without saying you need to know where the money is What's much harder is knowing where the culture is and knowing where the direction of your innovation is, because that is now a person to person relationship, not an Excel spreadsheet. And how do we actually build that? And what it really comes down to is you need to have the ability of removing yourself from the situation and looking at this objectively. So Marvel actually gave us a great visual of this in the Doctor Strange movies. When Doctor Strange's essence got popped out of his body and he just saw his body hovering there, talking and communicating with the other character, what you see is what I'm trying to teach here. You are no longer in your emotional state. This is just person A talking to person B in the relationship that's established here. So whether it be business, customer, owner, employee, adult to adult, whatever the relationship is, there are at least that should be, is that's what's happening here between these two people. Taking all of your personal emotion out of the situation, being as objectful as possible. Yes, that's an acceptable relationship. No, and this is how we can make it better. That's the skill set you really need to do. That's how you truly figure out do I have a good business culture or not? Because if you can go through all of the interactions that your company has, which obviously this begins to skyrocket the more and more employees you have and the more and more customers you have. So you might want to audit you know, a couple of them, you know, 10 to 20, but is this an appropriate relationship and are they conducting themselves in the appropriate ways? And if they are, great, you'll be able to have things work. But if they're not, that's where we get into the tweaking of, How can we make this better and how can we not? And unfortunately, talking to a podcast audience, this isn't a universal answer. This is we got to go through the individuals involved and figure out how to make it work.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure it varies from individual to individual for a whole bunch of reasons, like personality mm-hmm. types and stuff like that. So yeah, it's not going to be one yeah. size fits all. So no, but I agree, you have to separate yourself from the situation, try to look at things objectively, because very often, we let our emotions get the best of us. And when you make decisions based solely on emotion, you, 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 st- you, really, uh, you you really you really they're suck normally wrong. Well. They usually <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're wrong 98 percent of the time. So you yeah. got to try to make it as objectively as possible. And and unfortunately, in of moment, mm-hmm. you get angry. I so was like, "I'm going to do it. I don't care." And and almost always, like you said, it's the wrong. It's the wrong decision. So uh, the next thing I'd like to ask you about is, okay, so people that are working their business, individuals, managers, uh, what steps can they take to
0: improve themselves and to better themselves? What would you recommend? Yeah, so this is interwoven through every answer I've given you so far. There's four things that any individual can do that will make their lives better and make their company better by default. The first one is you need to become more intelligent about something you have a passion about. And hopefully your business is a reflection of one of your passions. But the more and more you know about something, and on a personal level, this can be Harry Potter or Harry or Jets or anything else. If you have a passion about it and you learn more and more about it, you inherently will develop a confidence within yourself. And confidence is one of the very few things that is universally attractive to every single person on this planet. And confidence really helps you build every relationship in business, really helps you out. So it starts with finding a passion and knowing, knowing as much as you can about it, diving deep into it. Number two, when we talk about culture and people being able to say their mind, this is it. If you have a feeling that's inside of you, get it out somehow, even coming off stuttery or weird or slow or not completely coordinated. You got to figure out a way to get it out. And you also have to figure out a way that every person around you has that same comfort that they can say what it is. And, you know, the English word for that is courage. It's, it's being able to say what you need to say, but implementing that within yourself and allowing those around you to do it is incredibly massive for all of the cultural growth reasons we just discussed. The next one is humility. Humility is what allows you to do that whole exercise of evaluating your company. It's humility in this culture is kind of defined wrong. What humility truly is, it's knowing your place, knowing your place within this relationship. So as adult and adult, this is how we should be. It doesn't mean that I should be smaller and diminutive to you, nor does it mean I should be large and overpowering over you. You know, we are equals in this adult-adults relationship. You see a lot of people fail this whenever they're trying to sell their product via price. They try to make themselves so small and insignificant relative to their customers, and it's reflected by a price that really has no right for existing. And then the final one is justice. Justice is what I was saying about hiring you're hiring people and you're treating each other based upon what they actually do, not what they say they're going to do, but what they actually do. And then you're compensating them or you're treating them correctly as a result for that. It's I'm in my personal life. I want to hang out with this person to have a better relationship, not because I think I'm going to get something out of it. And that's really how justice is applicable. So the four things you can do right there are how you make your life better And you can see it's so intertwined to the rest of this conversation of how you build your business. And it works, like I said, certainly in the business world, but it works dramatically well in your personal life as well because these four things are universal to human experience.
1: And I totally agree with you on that. It not just applies to your business world, but it applies to every other aspect of your life. So, you know, you talked about be passionate about something, you know. Be, you know, make you more intelligent, and you'll develop confidence as a result. And you're right, confidence is very attractive to people. A lot of people do not appreciate the pop, the attractiveness of confidence, and it's one reason why people get better jobs. It's one reason why people make more sales, get more dates. The more, you know, the more confident, the more people like being around you, so definitely that helps. Mm -hmm. And I I like to get that that feeling inside you get it out and and encourage others to do it as well. It helps with the culture. I like that. I like what you said about humility, knowing your place in the relationship very important. And the final point about justice. You know, people get paid, paid, not on what they say they will do, but based on what they will do and how they will be treated. If that's true justice. So uh, yeah, you do those four things. It's going to impact everything in your business, in your life. So really great stuff, Joe. Listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Joe. It was a pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great value, a lot of great tips. I, you know, I appreciate it. And I know the people that are listening to this episode are appreciating it too. And Joe, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you?
0: Yeah, reach out to me at EliteBusinessConversations.com. We'll set up a little 10-minute conversation, see if we can be a good fit in what capacity. Am I going to come out and give an address at a sales victory conference or to your business in this space? And would you want me to come as a business coach or an individual coach? All starts with a little 10-minute chant. Find us at EliteBusinessConversations.com, and we'll see what we can do and see if we'll be a good fit.
1: Sounds good. Thanks again, Joe. I really appreciate it. Have yourself an amazing
0: day. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.